Hello and welcome to Talking Additive, episode 40. I think if you were to start a shop now, it's just as important to get a printer as it is to get a welder or a, a, a lathe or a mill. It's just as useful as any of those tools. More on this and other topics on Talking Additive. On Talking Additive, we sit down with business leaders, innovators, and allies to discuss the impact of adopting 3D printing in their businesses. How does adopting additive manufacturing positively benefit a business today? How is the role of 3D printing evolving within design, manufacturing, education, and our lives? And what will be possible in the future? Welcome to the 40th episode for the Talking Additive podcast. Talking Additive launches new episodes on Tuesdays. Our guest today is Dom Tucci, designer at Tucci Hot Rods. So Dom, thank you so much for joining today on Talking Additive. Thanks for having me on, Matt. I really appreciate it. We had an awesome interview a couple years back for an Ultimaker story video showing you kind of when you were still getting started with 3D printing in your shop there and it had some first projects that you had done. Fast forward, gosh, like five years later, four years later, You've done so many projects since then. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to chatting with you today about hearing all the new stuff you're doing, your your shifts in perspective on 3D printing, and just to hear about some of your successes. Uh, My name is Dom Tucci from Tucci Hot Rods in Marston, New York. And I'm a designer, fabricator, pretty much handle anything that goes on at the shop. But I went to school for industrial design, so that's my background. I've been fabricating in metal since I was like six, seven years old. So I also feel really comfortable in the shop as well. Well, first of all, spending time with you in your shop, meeting your dad and grandfather and seeing the kind of whole legacy laid out in various places throughout that space. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for Talking Additive listeners, do you want to share what it means to be a third generation hot rodder and racer? Yeah. So my grandfather started to build cars as a hobby. He owned a an appliance repair shop. He had a restaurant. He did a bunch of different stuff, but he was always really into cars. And so we had a little 30 by 40 foot garage that he started building like his own personal vehicles in. And so to him, like hot rodding is, uh, you know, you want to make more power. You want to make the car look cooler. And so he started to really do that stuff. And my dad got into it. My dad worked for the appliance business for years and had a car of his own and would build it up slowly. So each year he would take it to another level. It was a drag race car. And so he kept going faster and faster with it. And um, he kind of thought like, I really like to do this as a business. So they kind of jumped in with both feet and went for it. And they built a 6,000 square foot facility strictly to build cars. So we're still at the shop right now. We've expanded since then. and, And I've joined the team so I pretty much grew up in the shop. We built the shop in 97 and I was only five years old. So I pretty much grew up around it and um, felt like this is where I needed to be also. My grandfather started modifying cars when my dad was little. So he kind of had no choice in it. He was thrown right into it and grew up in the shop also. But when my dad started really working on cars, like I was always around and he's a designer too. Like even though he's not you know, trained, but he is. When he built that green 39 GMC, he was asked to speak at a bunch of different places and events and bring the truck around. And one of those was Art Center in California. He and Chip Foose actually spoke at an event there, I believe. And I think I was maybe 10 years old. We got to walk around the studio and it was just like being in a museum. Like it was amazing. And all throughout like elementary school and high school, like I always remembered that walk through that school and seeing the drawings on the walls and the full scale and the clay models. And I just thought that whole thing was amazing. You know, when I was maybe like 13, 14, like I really wanted to be a car designer. So I would fill sketchbooks up with drawings. While there are a lot of our listeners who probably know a little bit about hot rodding and cars, a lot of car people listen to this show. Why don't you share a little bit more about what it means to hot rod? What kinds of things you all produce there? So hot rodding to me is, say you take an old muscle car. You're going to take the old motor out of it that probably didn't make a lot of power. We're going to put something new into it that makes 
two, three times as much power, but it's way more drivable. Like it's really friendly to drive on the road. And then we'll take off the old brakes that don't stop. We'll put on new modern brakes, modern suspension, do the interior really nice so it's comfortable, sound deaden the whole car. So you feel a little bit like you're in a more modern vehicle, but it looks like a 60s, 70s car. And why is doing that work on these older classic vehicles exciting? I think it just extends the life of them. People will look at a 70 Mustang and they'll be like, oh, I really want that car or something like that. And they'll get in to drive it and they're like, this is horrible. Like this handles terrible, stops terrible. And so our work, we get to get those cars back on the road and get them driving. And that's the best part for us is actually getting to drive the vehicles at the end. That's my favorite part anyway. And testing them and improving them and changing settings and making it really, really nice for the customer. When you were talking about your dad and his sort of journey and picking up what your grandfather had been doing and finding ways to kind of more and more optimize his drag racer, et cetera, I think it might be worth also sharing with audiences here that your shop that you all have together uh, has actually contributed to the, the field of hot rodding tremendously. Some of the iconic approaches to hot rodding were things that your dad came up with, and now you're kind of pushing things forward as well yourself. Do, do you want to talk about some of those standout projects that really put Tucci Hot Rods on the map? Yeah. So really the first vehicle that put my dad on the map was a 39 GMC pickup. When it came out, people didn't really know what category to put it in because it took certain feelings from muscle cars, certain feelings from the custom world. These are all different like genres within custom cars. And it had like one of the first sets of 20 inch wheels on a hot rod. And so like he co-developed tires with Falcon Tire for hot rodding. And um, that truck's really what, what started the business. Something that I didn't know until meeting you all and chatting at depth about the theory and culture uh, of hot rodding is that there are a lot of different approaches to this field and that it was really inspiring to be hearing from you all talking about what you just mentioned as the value at the end of the day when you're creating custom cars for clients that you get to drive it and you want like a good experience. You want to get these back on the road. And so I've heard you all talking about the importance of like really achieving a, a real change in the experience of driving and uh, making these crazy interesting vehicles that are also like street ready. Tell Talking Additive listeners, what is the phrase that you use for your goal for making these cars really look right from your perspective? Yeah. So the term we always use around here is OEM plus. So it's like something that the factory could have done, but didn't. Either it was too crazy for them or whatever the case is. But I always like any modification to feel like it could have come from the factory. It's so, so easy to go way outlandish with things. And, you know, there's a time and a place for that. But for us in particular, we like to keep a certain balance that you know, it's timeless and, uh, you know, makes for a well-balanced vehicle. So even though you grew up in a metal shop where you were working with these tools and getting a sense of how all this stuff worked, did you always think you'd end up working on cars? Uh, no, I didn't. Back in high school, I took classes for engineering and I felt like that was a little bit too... Um, in a box for me, you know, there's a ton of math and things are very regimented with engineering. And so later on in high school, I actually switched to graphic design because I just kind of got into it. And when I was looking at colleges, I didn't even know what industrial design was when I found the program. I started to look into it and I was like, this kind of combines everything that I like, you know, drawing, hand making, 3D modeling, all that stuff combined into one, one feel. It sounds perfect. So I went to Syracuse for industrial design. You know, we had colleagues of mine going to like all these different companies to do like an internship. And I did one locally at a place that made like Roundup bottles, like manufactured the bottles for that. And I found myself all day just thinking about cars and just wanting to get back to that. And uh, when I graduated, it was just like, I just need to come back into this and I want to bring all the stuff that I've learned in school, 
all these skills, all these styles and bring them back and then take this business and try to modernize it a bit and put my style into it. So when did you first encounter a 3D printer? It was in college. Uh, we had one of those massive industrial ones that you know took up the whole room and it was super expensive to get something printed and it took forever and that was kind of like my first taste of it. And then we kept learning about these printer companies that are putting out cheaper printers, different kinds of printing. And it wasn't really until I graduated that I thought that it could be a viable tool for us. Now, when you came back from your industrial design program and started working with cars, again, given that you'd had access to them uh, growing up, how was it different this time? You mentioned, you know, bringing new tools that you had learned. What were some of the approaches that you explored? Um, so I think using a little bit more modern technology, my dad designed and had parts machined for years. Like that was a big part of, of the business. With these show cars where everything needs to be altered by a little bit, you need to machine a ton of parts. So like I just kind of came into it, you know, wanting to use more of it maybe in a different way because machining can get really expensive really quickly. And so for these show cars that sometimes they're, they're upwards of a million dollars, you machine all of it, whatever. But when you have a customer that is on a budget, you can't go and machine everything. So we just kind of use things in a different way. Like we did a 31 Model A sedan and we used just a bunch of water jetting that was cheaper and we could make like a bigger impact with some water jetted parts for a low cost. And so when did you come up with the idea of bringing a 3D printer into your mostly all manual tools uh, metal shop there? Yeah, I'd seen a couple of friends of mine start using printing here and there, making either prototype parts or, or even a few knobs and switches and stuff like that. And so when we got the Fiesta project to do with Ford, there were a couple things on it where I knew that they had to be printed. Like we didn't have the budget on it to have it machined out of plastic or billet or whatever. Printing was going to be the perfect way to do it. So we reached out to you guys at Ultimaker and that's how we started working together. Yeah. I remember that project fondly. Um, that was a really, really cool vehicle, especially because I don't think, that I expected to see that style of transformation. I mean, taking a car that was pretty familiar on the streets, but really reframing it, but making it just elegantly constructed. So it all kind of made sense together. Let's circle back to the beginning. I really want to make sure we include a full portrait of what you all do today. So what is Tucci Hot Rods and uh, what kind of work do you do? So at Tucci Hot Rods, we're pretty much full-scale metal shop. So we have all sorts of manual metal shaping tools, power hammers, planishers, a little bit of machining stuff, so lathe, mill. And we'll take any vehicle, really, anything that we feel is cool and deserves something done to it and either modernize it or we don't really restore cars. We mostly modify and change them, but we'll make chassis from scratch. We do exhaust. We'll do some motor builds, we do everything in-house besides paint and upholstery. And then when it comes back from the paint shop, we'll do full assembly on it. So all the wiring, all the plumbing, all that stuff gets done right here. And uh, at a given time, how many projects usually are coming through there? So in the shop, we probably have like six or seven going on at once. You know, they range in different stages of build. Right now, we probably have six in the shop that are in the, in the metal stage still getting the metal work done, trying to get ready for paint. You'd mentioned the Ford Fiesta project, uh, where sort of this whole collaboration got started. Why don't you tell Talking Out of listeners a little bit more about SEMA and about these projects that you've been doing with Ford? Because I find that a really interesting story. Yeah, uh, SEMA stands for the Specialty Equipment Market Association. So it's basically an aftermarket parts trade show for the car industry. So you'll have a huge array of different parts vendors and services there. And then some of the OEMs go too. So Ford, GM, Dodge, Chrysler, they, uh, they go and they bring vehicles to show off the aftermarket capabilities for those vehicles. 
And so Ford does a really cool project vehicle program where you submit a proposal, you go through like a selection process, and then um, if they pick you, so you have to have like your marketing plan figured out, your modifications figured out, your build partners figured out. And um, if they decide to go with your build, then uh, you get the vehicle and we have a few months to build it. They've ranged from like two to four months, which is not a long time to build a car, but it's the challenge that we take on. But we build them and they have to debut at the SEMA show in Las Vegas. It's usually the end of October, the beginning of November. And uh, so we've built six vehicles for Ford over the years. What was the first year? Actually, back in uh, 2000, my dad got a Super Duty Dually as a Ford project vehicle. And things have changed a lot since then. It's got a lot more uh, regimented, you know, to get a project vehicle. But that was the first one. And he did a bunch of wild stuff to it. And it was in magazines. And and uh, we still use that truck today as our uh, main tow vehicle, actually. So it's pretty cool. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So I've been in that car or that truck. Oh, yeah. Right? For, yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. But what I didn't realize before I went to that show is that SEMA is the largest show that Las Vegas does uh, every year. It's bigger than CES, which I didn't realize uh, having gone to CES for years. I thought that was the biggest show that I would ever go to. Yeah. Uh, it was really inspiring to see how much passion and energy there was across that field. So going to SEMA for the first time and seeing not only this huge show just crowded with people, and this is not necessarily a um, consumer's show. It's, you know, even those thousands and thousands of people who are there are there with some sort of marginal professional claim uh, to, to be there. So these are all those who are engaged in the business of, of Custom Auto. Uh, and then I went to the Ford booth, and the Ford booth was often a very, very big uh, physical space there in that show. Mm -hmm. uh, not quite as big as the entire trade show, but big enough. And they're seeing some of these uh, interesting projects. It's been really inspiring to see how much time and energy individuals and also the OEMs themselves put into exploring the possibilities of, of custom auto. Tell me a little bit more about how you approach these Ford project vehicles. Uh, do you set out with a specific aim for each? Do you need to pitch that to them in order to get the vehicle? Yeah, so Ford kind of wants a theme when you initially propose the vehicle. So we try to come up with a decent theme that, you know, we want to build and that will also jive with what Ford has going on. So in uh, 2016, when we first did the Fiesta, we built it specifically to do an event called um, the Optima Search for the Ultimate Streetcar. So they're basically race cars that are street legal, but they have full interiors. And the cool thing about the Optima event is they judge design and engineering. So you can't just show up with a full-on stripped race car. It's got to look like a proper show vehicle even sometimes. And this whole thing started out from people were going to SEMA and just not having running vehicles. You know, they'd show up with something that looks like a finished car, but it's not. And so Optima wanted to make an event to showcase, like, look, there are really highly capable cars that come to SEMA. And so they picked a certain number and they went racing and it just started to blow up from there. And my dad's been a part of it for a few years and I wanted to build a car specifically to do that. And so it happened to work out that we got the Fiesta with Ford and we competed two years in a row with it. And it was just so much fun. What are some of the other projects and uh, project goals that you have done there since then? In 2017, we... Um, built a Mustang. The whole goal of it was to go 200 miles an hour. So to take a factory vehicle and get it to go 200. So power, aerodynamics, all that stuff was really, really important. So we ended up going 200 miles an hour with it, with a bunch of 3D printed stuff on it. And so working with the designers at Ford, they were saying how in a Mustang, the engine bay is like a parachute. So it, it slows the car down a ton. So we actually blocked off a bunch of the front, the air dams, and we made these massive 3D printed hood vents that would extract the air out of that high pressure area. We made wheel covers to cut down on wheel drag and had a really big wing on it, rear diffuser, to just keep it really stable. And it went 200 pretty easily, actually. So that was super cool to be a part of. 
you'd mentioned at the time that you wanted to test it as a standing mile racer. How did it perform? It performed really well. It took a little bit of uh, computer work to get stuff to not interfere with going that fast because obviously Ford doesn't really want you going that fast. So they put in safeties and everything to, to shut it down. So we worked with HP tuners to get into the computer and to try to limit those those safeties to get it to go that fast. And even still on the 200 mile an hour run, some sort of safety kicked in because we were looking back at the data and at about three quarter track, the throttle position went to 30%. And uh, luckily he had enough speed to carry through the beams at 200, but it could have gone a lot faster than that. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about the printed parts and why 3D printing was useful uh, to each of these vehicles? You had a range of uses on each of them and the uses seemed to have changed. So going back to the Ford Fiesta, you've described some of the custom parts you made, but why don't you share in terms of the 3D printed parts? Yeah, so the Fiesta was the first project that we really utilized 3D printing with. And we did it because there were so many parts that I had in my head that could really only be made by custom 3D modeling something and having it produced. And with a project where you're under the gun like that, you only have a couple months to build it, and there's no real budget for it, you're just kind of trying to put everything together, 3D printing was like the perfect tool to use to make these usable parts that could function and look perfect, but could be made super quick and really cheap. Uh, what are some of the types of parts that are on there? We made hood vents, fender vents. So like we extended out the fenders on this car. By doing that, we made a surface that you know wasn't a factory surface anymore. So nobody's going to make a part that's going to work perfectly on it. And so that's what we run into so often is that you know, an off-the-shelf part is not going to do the job for us. We need something fully custom. And we've been using 3D printing since 2016 on every single car that we've built. Were there other uses that you put to 3D printing other than uh, parts on the final vehicle? On the dash of the Fiesta, we put a, it's called a race pack unit. So it's like a digital race dash. So we pulled the factory gauges out and there's a really complex opening that the stock gauges would go into. And so to try to place this dash in the right spot, we didn't have 3D scanning capabilities like we do now. It was just kind of trial and error. So I was making really quick, simplistic prints that would line up the dash with the opening and keep testing it, modeling a new one, testing it. And we probably went through six revisions before I nailed the shape of that. And that just helped us quickly place that dash in the right spot. Okay, so then moving forward to the Mustang that you already were talking about, what were some of the 3D printed parts that were on the Mustang? We made the really massive hood vents on the Mustang. We did the inlets for the turbos. In the grill of the Mustang was an opening that um, we cut out and made like a duct in there to go to the turbo. And then on the interior, we had a couple parts that we made a speedometer mount that would go up to 200 miles an hour. And then I made a little cap filler piece. So it's a race car. like So there's a cage in it, there's harnesses, there's all sorts of safety stuff. And so there's a window net that runs from the middle of the car to the dash. You know, say if you roll the car, your arms don't go where they don't need to be. So this net would clip into the dash. So I took out one of the factory air ducts and then printed this cover piece that would look factory, but it had a little clip coming out of it that would clip the window net. It looked nice and factory at the end. Uh, speaking of uh, looking nice and factory, a bunch of these pieces, including some of the, the vent pieces on the front of the vehicle, were multiple parts you put together. But when you see the final piece, you wouldn't necessarily think they're 3D printed. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you approached producing those? Coming from the custom automotive field, after the body is done with the metalwork, then it goes to body and paint. And so we're really used to finishing things in a very specific way to make things uh, look right and to last and hold up. And so we just use those same principles on the 3D printed parts. We just sanded them, sanded all the print lines off, prepped them in the same way that we would do any other part, you know, Bondo if needed, primer, paint, 
clear coat to protect everything. And so at the end, some of these pieces were 10 prints in one that were glued together with an automotive epoxy and you couldn't even tell. And they've held up, you know, they've gone 200 miles an hour in their functional air vents and they get exposed to the sun and to heat of the engine. And they were in a little bit of a fire one time that was an accident and they still held up. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, I remember you saying around when that vehicle came out that these are probably the the fastest landbound 3D printed parts, at least at, at that time. Yeah. There's been a lot of 3D printing and racing since then. I'm going to keep saying that until somebody disputes it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, so then you kept going after the Mustang. What were your next vehicles? In 2018, we did an EcoSport. That was kind of something that Ford asked us to do. The launch didn't go that well in the U.S. It was kind of a vehicle made for India and Europe, and it was made for those roads and those sort of conditions. And it just didn't really like speak to the, the Americans as well. And so they wanted us to do something sort of wild with it. We made an off-road overlanding vehicle out of this little tiny SUV, and we 3D printed all the flares. And they're big parts. They're five parts each, and they're all glued together with that same two-part epoxy and sanded and painted. And they look like a piece that could have come from the factory. On the EcoSport, we went with sort of like an overlanding off-road theme. So we had bikes on the top that had racks made for them. We had big off-road tires, as big as we could fit in these fenders. And we had a winch on it. We tried to make it, you know, functional and usable. So after the EcoSport in uh, 2018, when was the next time that you did a, a SEMA project? We actually did a SEMA project in 2019. It just wasn't with Ford. We did a giveaway car with Syracuse Nationals, which is a really big car show in the Northeast here. And this is probably like the 11th or 12th giveaway car that we've built for them. The first giveaway car that my dad did for them was a 32 Ford. So for their 20th anniversary, we wanted to do another 32 Ford, but up it a little bit in quality and in technology. So we, we put a twin turbo Ford V6 in it with a manual and we used a push rod front suspension with fancy coilovers and sticky tires. And we've raced it a couple times. And the thing is just so much fun and it's obnoxious. And so we built that to give away at the show in 2019. And we took it to SEMA with HP tuners at the end of the year. And actually we had a professional drifter take it out at Ford out front and drift with it and do donuts and burnouts and it was the perfect way to cap off uh, a week at SEMA. It must have been amazing seeing that, doing that kind of racing. It's just not what you would expect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The 32 Ford is such an iconic hot rod. They say that there's more 32 Fords on the road today than were ever made because there's so many fiberglass ones and replicas. And I've always wanted to build one in my style. And this one that we built is exactly what I envisioned. So in 2020, SEMA was canceled, but you kept going and you made a vehicle for it, right? So tell me about the vehicles you shared at 2021. Yeah, so we did the same proposal stuff with Ford in 2020, and it was kind of like up in the air if the show was going to happen or not. A lot of stuff was getting canceled and, and pushed back. And we were set up to get a Mustang, and they canceled the show. So that stopped us from doing that second Mustang. But there were a few other projects that I had put in that when it came around the beginning of 2021, they said, you know, you should resubmit some of the ones you did last year. And this is actually kind of a funny story. One of the guys we work with at Ford had just texted me to see if we ordered a Bronco to, you know, help out with getting one. And I took that as a coded message that I should put in for a Bronco. So that was the only reason that I submitted one because we're not known for off-road vehicles at all. So I knew the Bronco was going to be a hot commodity. So I ended up coming up with a uh, concept that used snow tracks from a company called Matt Tracks and do a whole backcountry snow theme with snowboards on top. And Ford loved it. So we built it and uh, we had it out at SEMA in 2021. That's awesome. And at least for me looking at it, it was uh, 
very distinctive. It was uh, not what I expected. Um, what were some of the things that you had to do to make that vehicle compatible to all the different modifications you did to really like suit it for all these winter sports activities? Yeah. We used a lot of parts from uh, Rigid Lighting and Yakima Racks and Warn, the winch company. So it's got a really massive winch on the front. It's got snowboard racks on the roof. It's got a ton of off-road lighting. So we actually took it up to the snowmobile trails this past winter, and we were driving it on the snowmobile trails that are like seasonal roads and uh, passing by snowmobiles, and it was pretty funny. That's amazing. That must have been pretty startling to people to see that come whizzing by. Yeah. Plus, it was like negative four degrees up there, and we're inside of a heated cabin with the seat warmers on, and it was pretty funny. Yeah, you definitely made the like extreme luxury version of snowboarding. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. Um, so then you had another vehicle there uh, that not only was a, a hit of the show, uh, but is something continuing to draw attention for you. Do you want to talk about the Maverick? Yeah. So the Maverick started out actually being a Ranger. So I had drawn this wide body lowered Ranger in 2020. Ford liked it and were asking about it. And uh, when the show got canceled, when we went to go in the next year, they said, you know, you, you should put in that Ranger proposal again. The Maverick wasn't out yet. And, you know, we have multiple conversations with Ford and the teams there. And when it got to the point to choose who is going to be building these vehicles, they were like, all right, do you want to do that same thing, but on something that we can't tell you about yet? And so we're like, yeah, sure, let's, let's do it. <laughs> and uh, maybe three, four days later, we saw the Maverick was announced. And they called and they were like, all right, did you figure out what you're building yet? <laughs> so that That's was pretty, pretty cool to, um, yeah, it was so cool to modify something that was like not out yet. Like nobody had really seen him on the road. And, and uh, so that was a lot of fun. Now, I'd love to hear your thoughts about that Maverick because um, it got a lot of attention and became impossible to get, uh, absolutely mm -hmm. impossible to get. Now, I know they had a couple of things going on there at once, not the least of which is the supply chain issues that all companies were dealing with that were doing manufacturing that had for anything with chips in them. Um, mm -hmm. You know, what is from your perspective, the story of the Maverick? I think that it's enough truck for 90% of truck owners. Like it'll tow jet skis or side-by-sides or whatever. You could put stuff in the bed. It's like enough truck. Like you don't need an F-150 you can have this thing and it'll do most of what that other truck does for, you know, a third of the cost and it's smaller size and better on gas. So I think they just absolutely knocked it out of the park with it. Yeah. And so you had access to one and could really kind of dream and, and use this approach that you started with another car for. But, I mean, this became, at least for Ford fans, kind of the year of the Maverick. Um, what was it like executing your design on it? It was kind of surreal, to be honest with you, because we were working with the Ford design team to develop these parts and to develop what the truck was going to look like and the stance and the wheels and the fenders. You know, I initially wanted to be a car designer when I was little, and uh, I ended up going into a more general design field. But now to be able to be working with OEM designers was was super cool. And then we got Ford OEM CAD so I could work off the surfaces that they sent us. And um, yeah, it was, it was super cool. The Ranger proposal had fenders that were welded on that were metal and smooth. And Ford fought really hard to have us do a bolt on fender because the Maverick, you know, is a cheap platform. So they wanted to show that for relatively little money, you could have this same look. Oh, great. So that's the origin of that whole element. Mm -hmm. uh, so Ford, every year at SEMA, gives away three big awards. So there's a best of the stand, a best in show, and then um, I think it's like a best classic vehicle that is a Ford and has a Ford motor and, and all that stuff. And so we got picked best of the stand. That's great. That was pretty amazing because there was some really good stuff there. And we spend so much time on these on these cars and we don't do it for the awards. We just do it because it's what makes us happy. But to get recognized like that was 
pretty incredible. And right there, featured in articles, were new CEO Jim Farley saying, your Ford Maverick was just the best thing uh, he had seen. What was that like? Uh, that was also nuts as well. That whole week is a whirlwind. People that we get to talk to and people that get to see our work while it's out there is so cool. Jim Farley tweeting about it was just so unexpected and and awesome. And then we met Dave Parasak. He's kind of like one of the guys at Ford and Ford Performance. He helped bring in the new Mustang. So he's a big part of Ford. We got to talk to him about the Maverick. Just really, really great. Let's do a little bit of a survey through the various ways that you use 3D printing there in the shop. Why don't we start at the beginning of projects? What are some things you do when you have first ideas uh, or you're like pitching an idea to a client or just getting prepared to undertake a more complicated technical project? Uh, most of the time, I'll do a full 3D rendering. So I'll start with a CAD model and make the modifications that we're planning on doing. And then I can render that and then show the client and then they can sort of sign off on it and make changes if they want. And then once we get into like the fabrication of the project, a lot of it is like just rough cutting and like we're doing a 72 charger. And so the start of that project was to map out a frame for it, a new frame. And then once the frame is built, you cut the entire floor out of it. And then you fit the frame up into the car and you make a new floor. So we're kind of at that stage right now with it. But each car is kind of different in the process that it takes to get it finished. How about we start with indirect parts as far as the, the actual production work? Uh, what are some things that you produce that help you solve problems, help you either identify where to do something or guide a process uh, or hold things down? We've used printing in all of those different ways. We make templates all the time. We'll print something, say if it's a complex shape, we can print something with a, a hole in it to mark where we need to drill something. Or, you know, even if we have a part that we know is going to be printed, we'll make a test print that's less nice and quicker, and that'll be the part we'll use to make the holes or do whatever we need to do with that. Like on the lip of the Maverick, using a part of the surface, I printed a whole templating system where I could drill the holes through the bumper to mount it because all the hardware is in from the backside. So there was no, no real way to do it. And so we printed all those templates to mark the holes. Uh, what about some hold downs or jigs? You have all those manual machine tools there. On the motorcycle that I was building, it needed a really tight, complex exhaust. So on that, I modeled up the exhaust pipe as it was, and then I could keep testing cut shapes in CAD until I found the one that I liked the profile of. Then I could print a piece that the exhaust would slide into so I could use it on the bandsaw and perfectly cut that shape that matched the printed body panels of it. Something that we talked about when we did the Ultimaker Story video years ago was that here you have a fully manual metal shop, incredibly capable, just the right tools to work in a traditional way that you, know, you your dad, and, and all the staff there really knew at a very high level. Basically, you know, have this in your muscle memory. And uh, initially it was unusual to bring in like an automated tool, to bring in this 3D printer. There wasn't anything else like it. You know, reflecting back in the last couple of years, how do you see that in terms of where you started and tell the story of some of the other tools that you've added in the meantime? I initially had to try to convince my dad that printing was going to be a beneficial tool in the shop. And pretty much right away he saw the capabilities of it. And from starting with that one printer in 2016, we've added, I think, eight more printers to the shop, uh, some larger scale ones, just so we can do large panels quickly because we print a lot of end-use parts that end up getting sanded and painted. And then non-printing, we've gotten something we never really expected to get or planned on getting, but we have a two and a half kilowatt fiber laser now. 
and uh, it cuts five by 10 foot sheets. It'll cut half inch thick, mild steel. The thing's a monster. We got this job to do uh, like floor grates for a clean room and a chip plant. And, you know, we got the laser just to do that job. And then once that job was done, now we could, you know, make car parts with it. We've made control arms. We're looking at making full chassis for some of our projects too. Um, so now let's talk about some of the parts that have gone into some of your builds. Now, I was asking you as we were going around talking about the, the SEMA projects, and uh, you mentioned several of them. But if you were to sort of go through this in your mind as like the library of things that you draw from when you're facing a new car design, you know, like a custom car project, what are some things that you think, oh, I can always solve that kind of problem with 3D printing? I think lighting, especially, you know, transparent materials and colored transparent materials. I think I've just started to really experiment with what's possible. And I'm trying to learn as much as I can about the best way to print something, to have the right amount of light diffusion and the right finish and everything. And then that's always like something I want to mess with because it's like a high impact piece. You know, the headlights and the taillights are sort of like when you look at the front of a vehicle, it's like, you know, the face of the vehicle. So the lighting is very, very important and the color and the way that it works into the rest of the body is always really important. So when you're changing all of these different things about a vehicle, it's kind of hard for me to just use something off the shelf. And so I use printing a bunch for that stuff. Is it helpful to you when you're making parts that you can take a 3D design and you can mirror it, uh, you can duplicate it, you can make it in multiple materials to test it. On that 36 Dodge project, the whole bed of it was handmade. And I knew that I was going to print the taillights from the beginning. And so when you're making stuff out of metal, you know, you're still working by hand. Nothing's ever dead on perfect. So I was able to get the contours of one side and I made the shape of the taillight in a really rudimentary shape and I could test it on the on the sheet metal. And then I could mirror that and test it on the other side. And then my dad could go back and make adjustments to the panel to make sure both sides uh, matched up perfectly. And that sounds really nice for custom design, for sure, but probably also if you're like, say, sourcing an existing part uh, and you only find one of them. On the 32 Coupe, I got a set of Datsun fender mirrors. I just like how they looked. They had a like nice hot rod feel to them. And we got them bolted up. And you don't really know until you start to use it. But when you sat in the car, the mirror was in a horrible spot. So I actually took the design language of the Datsun mirror and just printed a new full mirror bucket that put it in the right spot and uh, used that for both sides. And, and uh, that worked out really well. And and by designing one, you sort of had the second one for free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So then thinking back to some of your SEMA projects, you often use 3D printing when you want to make alterations to things like hood vents and like the trim around where the wheels are mounted. Talk to me about those kind of parts because they're bigger than the plate of the printer. Um, mm-hmm. So you you had to sort of find a knack for how to do that but now you're able to make these parts. Why do you use 3D printing on pieces like hood vents? I use printing because uh, you can get a really complex shape really easily. Like even if you were to make a mold for something, you still can't get the features into a mold unless it's multiple pieces that you can with printing. So we can make really high impact, neat shaped vents and flares that it's kind of hard to make another way. And, uh, well, and they're, they're suited to polymers already. So that's sort of a nice candidate. Um, what are some other exterior elements, uh, that are frequent candidates for 3d printing? We've printed a few sets of fender flares now on the Maverick project that we did in 2021. We printed all the fenders for that. And, um, we printed the wing. It's got a really massive cab wing on it that, 
when I first saw some of the drawings of it from the Ford design team, I wasn't sure if it was going to work. And then we started to print some test pieces and mock it up on the side of the truck. And it just looked insane. And that was a huge part of why that truck went over so well. Yeah, that's nice. So how many printed parts were in those assemblies? Uh, a lot. A lot of parts. So each fender was uh, four pieces at each corner. I like to break stuff at the factory body lines. So where the bumper meets the fender, I can see that line in CAD and I, I extend that out so that, you know, it looks, again, like a factory piece. And so at that point, it bolts together. And then there's three other pieces that get pinned together with stainless pins and glued and sanded and painted. And then the wing, the wing follows the bed rails and comes up the C-pillar. I think in that section, it's got four at each of the uprights and then three for the big middle section. There's probably 25 to 30 chunks printed on that on that truck. So now what about work on the dash and steering wheel? I think a lot of the stuff is still yet to come. This 72 Charger that we're doing is, um, you know, the whole dash has been pretty much handmade. And so air vents and like where the gauges go, we're using part of the factory pieces and then blending in printed parts. And then the steering wheel too, I'm really into like how some of the newer car designs are using different shapes inside of the wheel. Like I have it all in my head. I just haven't like done, done one yet. And so I'm, uh, I'm pretty excited to, to do a steering wheel start to finish. Awesome. I, I can't wait to see that. You always put so much time and care into the experience of, of driving these vehicles. I bet it will be fun to, to get even beyond some of the great off-the-shelf parts from, from your collaborators who get in there mm-hmm. uh, to add some other details to integrate it. That'd be really nice. Uh, so then how about in places that are out of view, things like everything from wire management and brackets and things under the hood in places that can handle the temperatures, et cetera? We use a lot of printing for little brackets and um, frame mounts. So when you run like fuel line down the frame, you can bolt these printed pieces to it. You know, they're not, not exposed to too much heat. They get a lot of fresh air, so they hold up really well. On the 36 Dodge truck, it's got a Hemi in it, so it's got eight spark plug wires on each side. That's like a thing. It's got dual dual plugs. And so there's so many wires running through this thing. And so I printed these little oval-shaped wire separators that went along with the oval shape in the grill and the oval shape of the taillights. It was kind of a theme that I ran through the whole truck. And it had one bolt in the middle. One side was threaded, and it just clamped the wire lightly and held it all perfectly all in place. They make these spark plug wire holders, but they're very clunky and, um, you know, not that nice to look at. So I wanted this to look like it was meant to be there. The 36 Dodge came to us as a already done sort of rat rod project. So it was basically just the cab of a 36 Dodge truck on a pretty rough frame and an old tired motor. So we put a modern 6.4 liter Hemi in it with eight stack fuel injection. We made the chassis. And then on that Dodge project, I printed what I wanted the exhaust to be. So we could build pretty much the rest of the exhaust to this tip. And then we could make the cutout and fabricate where it was going to sit in the back. And then we had that piece machined. So we used the print for most of it to just mock everything up and then had the final piece machined. So, Dom, you grew up in the, in the car universe and uh, were interested in, in working in car design at some point, became very skilled uh, even when you know, young at using all the kinds of tools in the garage there that would uh, allow you to kind of work in the, the custom car universe that your dad and grandfather are in. What are your thoughts about 3D printing that you've brought into the auto shop? You know, really earned its place into your uh, all-manual metal shop. 
What do you see as the value of this technology for automotive in general? What are some things to highlight that maybe uh, listeners are not already thinking about? I think that uh, printing can be used in so many different ways, just in our shop, with end-use stuff, with prototype parts, with making jigs and fixtures. And it's just such a valuable tool. So many shops have started to get printers and uh, use them a ton. And, and it's just, it's awesome to see. I think if you were to start a shop now, it's just as important to get a printer as it is to get a welder or a, a, a lathe or a mill. It's just as useful as any of those tools. In the future, what are some things that you'd like to leverage from 3D printing that maybe you haven't done before? Everything from trying new materials you haven't tried before to new techniques to just facing design challenges. You know, as the material science progresses, it's going to get better and better for us using printing as like an end use part. And just recently, our painter came and picked up like five, six different pieces to test on. So we're always trying to figure out the best way to do something. And just in the projects that I've done in the past couple of years, I've changed my way of linking things together and with covering them and with finishing them. Um, we're always trying to figure out the best way to do something. Well, I look forward to seeing each and every new project because you take such risks and find new and interesting things to do. So it ends up being useful for us more on the 3D printing side of things to see applications we didn't predict. And I can't wait to see the next ones you'll stump us with and surprise us with. So, John, thank you so much for joining on Talking Out of. It's a pleasure to talk to you and, and get so many details about your background, the ways you use the technology, and your story in bringing a new perspective and technology into the traditional custom car shop. Thank you so much for having me. I, uh, I really appreciate it, and I hope we can do this again soon. Uh, definitely. We'll have to come back and see uh, your next crop of successes uh, next year. Absolutely. And thanks again to Dom Tucci, designer at Tucci Hot Rods, for joining us today. We hope that you have enjoyed our 40th episode for the Talking Additive podcast. If you have questions about any topic covered during this episode of Talking Additive, we invite you to post on Twitter or LinkedIn to hashtag Talking Additive, all one word. Talking Additive launches new episodes each Tuesday. Next week, we have a special surprise guest. Stay tuned. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and join the conversation by signing up for news and announcements at talkingadditive.com. Thank you again to Dom, Dave, and the entire Tucci Hot Rods team. Our episode editor is Paul Pontius of PGP Sound. Our series producer is Hannah Gabrielle Tacchini, studio manager David Roberson, music and sound mix by Brian Scarry and Giulio Carmasi of Hummingbirds Custom Music and Sound. I am host and producer Matt Griffin, and thank you for listening. On Talking Additive, we hold conversations with colleagues and customers about 3D printing's impact on business.